Therefore, from the lesson this day, Father, I do pray that you allow your flock to feed freely, not that they might be impressed with me, but that they may be blessed by thee. I only pray that you utilize me to illuminate the darkness with your words light, that it displaces any fright and that it strengthens their hands, that they might fight to enter into thy kingdom. Therefore, from me this day, Father, I do pray that you allow your light to shine extra bright. Again, not that they might see me, but that they may find you, the one in whom all glory and honor is due. Yahuwah, my other king, I pray that you accept from me this day my offering. Yahushua's name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, we are continuing on with this book of Joshua. And this is... This is really a very pivotal book. This is really, really, really an important message, you know, for Yah's people um, during this time. Uh, and well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. You know, Yah wants us to study the Book of Joshua from the individual's perspective of Joshua being the son of Noah. That is being the son of Resprouted, the born-again man in whom the Ruach HaKodesh is, you know, even as, you know, we are called to be in Yahshua, amen? You know, because um, Joshua represents the body of Yahshua. You know, collectively we're speaking of those who have went through their wilderness experience and have endured his tests and trials by holding on to Elohim, you know, and they have borne the whoredom of their parents and their forefathers, yet they have um, their they, they, yet they have their old man, that is their flesh man, and his lust broken down, humbled, and deadened. As a result, they no longer, they are no longer in this fleshly world, are now re, reborn spiritually via the water of the word in the Ruach Kapodesh. Within the book of Joshua, we can expect to learn the plan of Elohim concerning the body of Yahshua, that is, his ecclesia, the firstborn, and those general believers who are born again, which make up the spirit, make up spiritual Israel as a whole, will learn how they they are to enter into the kingdom of Elohim, what to expect once in, as well as how to proceed once in. You know, another perspective we'll be exploring is that the land and the inhabitants of the land, you know, and how the land of Canaan speak to the kingdom of Elohim that is within you and I. You know, Yahshua taught us, he said, that the kingdom doesn't come with observance, but the kingdom of Elohim is within us. You know, and he was noted saying that if he cast out spirits by the finger of Elohim, then the kingdom of Elohim is coming to, coming to them. You know, and we've done that 2,000 years ago. And the kingdom of Elohim has been nigh unto us ever since. You know, we have an opportunity to go in, but the time is now because that opportunity, that window of opportunity is closing. You know, that door of opportunity will one day be shut and locked. You know, so we need to figure this out and we need to get in, you know, um, in the here and now because the time's going by fast. We'll learn how, to, how they are to enter into the kingdom and what to expect once in. Another perspective we'll be exploring you know, um, is how its inhabitants relate to the remnants of the fallen angels, the demons, the devils, and other unclean spirits and their doctrines which currently inhabit the land inherited by the born-again believer. You know, when we're father from above, we become a spiritual being, but this spiritual being inherit a type of land. That type of land is our flesh bodies. That's what the 
new spiritual being, the one that's father from above, he inherit, you know, this land, this, these flesh bodies in which he has to dwell. But within this land is a whole lot of stuff that he has to contend with, you know, and it's this stuff that have to be contended with by the believer that the book of Joshua really speaks to, you know, especially once they cross the Jordan, you know, but first you have to get across the Jordan. First, you have to get into the kingdom, you know, and there's some preliminary things that must take place before one is able to even cross over the Jordan. You know, some things have to happen prior to one entering into the kingdom. And we're going to talk about some of that today. You know, we learned that the borders of the land of Canaan, i.e. the kingdom of Elohim, are uh, within us, are from his entrance in the wilderness. That is the pricking of our hearts. You know, the southern border um, to the Lebanon, or a heart of righteousness, with the uh, admonition not to be stupid or slow of learning or stubborn, you know, and that makes up our north northern border. Spiritually speaking, the kingdom's east border is great fruitfulness, symbolized by the great river Euphrates, with its western border being made up of the great sea, which spiritually speaks to our great sea of memories. The land itself speaks to our flesh or carnal nature, Hence the admonition that we're to be strong and of good courage and that we not become terrorized or fearful of the inhabitants of the land, which are symbolized by the Hittites um, or the terrorizers, that is the people's places and things within our land or flesh that would normally cause us to be terrified, you know, because our land operates in a larger land, if you would, you know, our flesh bodies operate in the land of the society we live in, you know, and guess what? There's giants in the land. Now that we understand where the borders of the kingdom are, what they represent, and what the inhabitants speak to physically and spiritually, what's next? What's next is to understand that just about the entire book of Joshua, you know, we'll say the two-thirds of it, you know, speak to what happens after Israel crosses the Jordan. You know, but Israel have to do a few things prior to crossing the Jordan. And, you know, y'all willing, we'll get into some of that today. And if we make it that far, I don't know how far we're going to make it. But we shall see. All right. So we're getting on with the book of Joshua, chapter 2. And as a precursor, you know, you might want to pull out your rubber boots. You know, we may go a little deep today. You know, so if um, something that you don't understand, put it on the shelf. Um, we'll take questions afterwards, and uh, if <clears throat> if we can't still still can't get it resolved, you know, I'm sure yeah, I will bring it off the shelf at some point. You know, so. We're going to talk about Rahab a bit today. And, you know, Rahab was made famous by the story of Joshua and Jericho, right? So we're going to get into who and what she represents, spiritually speaking. And please understand that, you know, that's 
scripture, all the scripture has a spiritual um, significance as well as a physical significance. Physically speaking, it's, it's history. It's just ancient history. You know, and, and as good as that history is, you know, we don't benefit from that history unless we can understand how it speaks to us today. You know, how it applies to our life in the here and now. You see, we have to understand that Yah told the end from the beginning. And that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You know, and if we understand that, then we know that the same things that they went through yesterday, we have to go through today. And those that come along tomorrow, guess what they're going to have to do? And that's because it's one way of Yahuwah. It's one way that leadeth unto life. And everyone that obtained that life has to travel that way. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's yes if it was yesterday or today or those <coughs> in the future. You know, so let us understand. Let us understand, you know, what's being presented here, you know, that it might help us to obtain that life. Amen. Amen. You know, so we left off with Joshua chapter two, verse three. So we're gonna pick it up today with Joshua two, four through six, my first reader, please. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not which they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whither they went, whither the men went, I wot not, I wot not. Pursue after them pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax. When she had hit when she had laid an order upon the roof, which she had laid upon the order on the roof. Hallelujah. Alright, so man, there's a lot just in these three little passages, these three little little verses. But um this word roof is interesting. It's Gog. Number fourteen oh six in the Hebrew. It speaks to a roof or a top or a house top. Uh, but by analogy it speaks to the top of an altar. Specifically an altar of incense. You know, and this is the very word that was used as the top of the altar of incense in, I believe it's Exodus 30, verse 3. You know, and it utilizes this word for the top of the altar of incense, which is very significant. Now, the woman Rahab represents those inhabitants of the city of the moon. Now, Jericho means city of the moon. And, it's, and the moon is the ruler of darkness you know um we're told this in genesis you know that the greater light was to rule over the day and the lesser to rule over the night you know so and we know that the darkness was called night so here it is we see a beautiful picture of jericho the city of the moon or the ruler of darkness you know and the woman Rahab represents those that's within that city of the moon or that uh, ruler of darkness that will commit adultery by serving God. You know, hence she's called the harlot. You know, and she's, because she will commit adultery against the ruler of darkness by serving God. Now, says the woman took the two men and hid them okay now we took we spoke uh last week about these two men and we we uh spoke about how 
they represent the two witnesses that will come in the end times that they are parallel to those two witnesses you know and so here it is we see that this woman is taking them and she's hiding them now she does this about the time of the shutting of the gate when it was dark you know that the men went out now she took them and she hid them in the stalks of flax now this is this is this is um pretty 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 significant it's a beautiful picture that's being painted here if you have eyes to see it she brought them up to the roof now the roof represents the top of an altar even an altar of incense you know so she's she's hiding them in the flax upon the roof you know which she had laid in order upon the roof now flax represents righteousness you know because um, in Revelation it teaches us that the righteousness of, um, that the fine linen is is as the righteousness of the saints linen is made from flax you know, so this is a picture with her hiding them in the flax. This is this is her hiding them in righteousness, or hiding them amongst the righteous. You can put it like that. You know, and so she she had laid the um, the righteous, what she had laid upon the roof. In other words, she's hiding them in the righteous that she laid upon her altar of incense. You know, that's pretty profound. You know, now incense actually represents prayers. You know, and so we see a beautiful picture of her not only helping the two witnesses and the righteous, but also praying for them. You know, now, hence she's the harlot, hence she's the adulterer, because she left off serving the ruler of darkness that was reigning over her land to serve Yah. You know, and those that make up Rahab, they serve Yah by helping his two witnesses along with his righteous saints, by hiding them atop their altar of incense, by hiding them and praying for them, you know, uh, praying to Yah on their behalf. You know, so they're helping them and they're praying for them. Can you see that? You know, and that's a, the most beautiful picture of a holiday that I ever saw. <laughs> you know, um, that is that is truly a beautiful picture. You know, um, to back up what I said, <coughs> Psalms uh, 141.2, you know, says, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So seeing that, you know, prayer is a type of spiritual incense, if you would. Also, Revelations 8, 1 through 6, it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before Elohim, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended up before Elohim out of the angel's hand. 
And the angel took the censer and filled it with the with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels had the seven trumpets prepared them. The, um, the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And so again, we see that the incense and the prayers go hand in hand. You know, and so as a second witness. You know, so even as the psalmist says, let my prayers rise to you like incense, O Yahuwah. You know, this was a beautiful picture of Rachel. I mean, not Rachel, but Rahab actually helping the two witnesses. And this is, this is futuristic. You know, so this is still prophecy that is due to come. You know, and we're getting really, really, really close to the end time prophecies coming to pass. In fact... We're so close that there's never been a time on earth that a people have been closer than we are today. And tomorrow, we'll be even a little closer. So, this is not all that far away. Because it's been approximately 2,000 years. It can't be too much longer. You know. And we got into that last week, too, about how, you know, all this takes place after two days, you know, and how the, a thousand years, a day is as a thousand years. So we're talking about a, mark of, a marker of 2,000 years. So until those 2,000 years, you know, the end times uh, prophecies can't come to pass, but anytime after that 2,000 years... It can happen, you know, the moment after the 2,000 years, the first day after the 2,000 years, the first month, the sec the first year, the second year, or several years after the 2,000-year marker. But after that 2,000-year marker, you know, it can be any time. You know, because we know it happens in the third day. Now, to validate what I was saying about the flax and, and the linen representing the righteous, righteousness of the saints, we have Revelation 19.8. It says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is as the righteousness of saints. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. And what is righteousness? See, it's important that we understand what righteousness is because so many people today, so many people uh, uh, so many of Yah's people do not understand what righteousness is. You know, Deuteronomy 6.25 says, And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before Yah, who are Elohim, as he have commanded us. When you do the commandments of Elohim, mm -hmm. then you are righteous. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of doing the commandments of Elohim, you are not righteous. Even as Yochanan would teach, he said, you know, make no mistake about it. Only those who do righteously are righteous. You can't become righteous without doing righteously. You know, or I should say, you can't remain righteous without doing righteously. You know, and this is, this is a very important concept because after you accept Yahshua as your Adonai, 
you know, as your savior, your slate is wiped clean. You're as a righteous one. But whether or not that slate stay clean is determined by how righteously you do. Hence, we're told we're not to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Amen? You know, so I wanted to make certain that this is clear. You know, that the flax represents the fine linen because that's what it's made of. And it represents the righteousness of the saints. And what righteousness is, is the commandments, those who do the commandments of Elohim. The commandments of Elohim is righteousness. Those who do them are righteous. They're acting righteously. And that's really important because today that is all but lost. Now, I want you to consider Yah's Moedim. Because Yah gave me a wonderful revelation about Yah's Moedim. And that revelation is that Yah's Moedim speaks to the day of Yahuwah. It speaks to his day. You know, and in Exodus 9.31, it tells us the flax and the barley were smitten. Okay, so now that we 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 don't shed a little light, you know, you should be able to understand this better. It says the flax and the barley were smitten, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was boiled. You know, so when it speaks about the flax, you know, um, being smitten, what is it talking about spiritually? Yes, it's talking about the righteous being smitten. Can you see that? You know, even because the fine linen which is made from flax is the righteousness of the saints. So if you if the um, flax is smitten, that's a picture of the righteousness of the saints being smitten or the righteous saints being smitten. And the righteous saints are the ones who are doing the commandments of Yahuwah Elohim. You know, and the barley represents the first fruits. Because the barley were the first fruits. You know, and who else was the first fruits? Yahshua, absolutely. You know, and so actually what you have a picture here, um, is those who actually keep the commandments of Elohim and have the faith of Yahshua. Can you see that? You know, Revelation 13, 7, you know, speaks to when the flax and the barley will be smitten. In Revelation 13, 7, it talks, talks about um, the bees that says, in, uh, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And so here it is, we see we see that, you know, in the end times, one will make war with the saints, the righteous saints, and they will be smitten, even as the flax and the barley was smitten. Amen? You know, now, Revelations 12, 7 tells us a little bit more about these saints in which he's going to make war with and that will be smitten it says and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of Elohim hello flax 
and have the testimony of Yahushua Mashiach. Hello, barley. You know, the flax and the barley was smitten. And so here it is. We have a picture of the dragon making war with the righteous saints. And as a second witness, we have Revelation 14, 12. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of Elohim and the faith of Yahushua. And these are the ones that's being killed. They're being killed all the day long, being slaughtered. Yet, this is during the time when it says, blessed are they which die from this point. So even though they're being killed, it's a blessing to be killed. Because there's going to come a time when men are going to want to die, but can't. Right. Amen? Amen. You know, uh, in Revelation 14, 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Blessed are the dead which die in the Adonai from henceforth. Yea, saith the Ruach, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. See, now we know that they were doing the commandments of Elohim because they were still laboring. They had works. And that's how you get works is by doing the commandments of Elohim. You know, so this is a beautiful picture, you know, of Rahab protecting, uh, protecting some of these righteous saints. You know, and the two witnesses, you know, and not only helping them, but praying for them as well. You know, you know, even committing adultery against against their king that's that's ruling and reigning over them, you know, to serve Yah and to help him and his. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Oh, I thought that was a beautiful picture. You know, and just you know, so that you can have some imagery to go along with that. You know, here it is. She hiding, she's hiding the, uh, the two witnesses in the flax. They're hiding amongst the righteous. They're on, they're on top of her altar, her golden altar of incense. You know, she's at, they're at the top of her prayer list. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. All right, verse 7, Joshua 2, 7, And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Now, seeing that we city folk, you know, we may not know what fords are. You know, we, we have a ford today. Even Henry Ford, and he has a, he has a lot of Fords, and so like we may be thinking you're talking about the Taurus or the F-150, you know. Um, but this is not what's being spoken of here, you know. A Ford, Ford is in the Hebrew is Mahabar, number forty-five sixty-nine, and it speaks to a crossing place, you know. So the men pursued after them the way to the Jordan unto the Fords unto the crossing place. Now, in order for you to really see what's happening here, you have to recall some of the past lessons and understand what the Jordan represents. 
The Jordan is actually the entranceway into the kingdom of Elohim. It's the entranceway into the land of Canaan. This is where Israel enters into the land of Canaan. They have to cross over the Jordan. So the Jordan is the entrance into the land of Canaan, i.e. the entrance into the kingdom of Elohim. You know, and so the men that pursued after them, they went to the forest. They went to the crossing place. So while they're there, while they are there, no one can cross. While they're there, no one can come across. No one can cross over the Jordan. No one can enter into the land of Canaan. No one can enter into the kingdom of Elohim. Hence it says, and as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Can you see what's being said here? Can you see what's being said here spiritually? It's talking about the time whereby the kingdom of Elohim being at nigh is no more. It's talking about the time when the gate is shut. It's talking about the time when you can no longer come into the kingdom. Please understand this. You know, because there is coming a time when the door will be closed. Right now it's still... You know, whomsoever will, please come. But there's coming a time when the gate will be shut, when no one will be allowed in. Please understand. You know, it says, and they shut the gate. You know, our Messiah also spoke of a time when he will shut the gate, when the gate will be shut. You know, let us consider Matthew Yahoo 25, 1 through 10. Let me have my next reader read Matthew Yahoo uh, 25, 1 through 10. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. When the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them and sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, mm -hmm. and they that were ready went in with him into the marriage, and the door was shut. Hallelujah. Now I want you to take note of the topic of this parable. This is all about the kingdom of heaven. You know, the land of Canaan is, was, is the type and shadow of the kingdom of heaven. So, it's talking about the same thing that's being spoken of in the book of Joshua. Mm -hmm. You know, I pray that you can see that. The kingdom of heaven, there will come a time when the kingdom of heaven, the door will be shut. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you see that? Yes. There's coming a time 
when the door to the kingdom of heaven will be shut. Now is the time to fill your lamps. Now is the time to put the oil in your lamps. And that oil speaks to wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Specifically, that which will come from the two witnesses. There's coming a time when the door will be shut. Don't let it be shut on you. The parable continues on in verses 11 through 13. It says, afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Can you see that? Some folks aren't going to get in. Some folks aren't going to get in. And the sad part is, most people think they already in. Some folks aren't going to get in. Because they're not going to have enough oil in their lamps. They're not going to have enough wisdom, understanding, and knowledge concerning the kingdom to get into the kingdom. Also consider this other um, parable that Yahshua taught. Uh, well, it wasn't a parable. It was just a lesson that he was teaching. You know, And it was what I like to call the measuring stick. You know, it's found in Luke 13, 22 through 27. It says, and he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Adonai, are there few that be saved? You hear the question, right? And he said unto them, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now, I can't just keep going on that. He says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. To strive means to wrestle. It means to fight. I want you to understand that because so many people were saved by just saying a few words. And they say, oh, I'm in. And guess what? One say, always say, blackjack, no trade back. It don't work like that. Now, prior to this, Yahshua would say, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few be that find it. But broad is the way, broad is the gate, uh, or wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many be thereon. So, check this out. If straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life and few be that find it, what does that tell us? That tells us only a few will even find the straight gate. Right? Now, there's over a third of the population of the planet that claim to be Christian. Over 2.5 billion people out of about 6 or 7 billion. Does that sound like the way of the few or the way of the many? But we're not going to stop there. Because even though only a few find the straight gate, we still have to contend with Luke 13, 24, which we have right here, which says strive to enter in at the straight gate. So even if you're one of the few who finds it, you still have to fight to get through. 
Somebody need to understand this. Put some oil in your lamps. Understand this. First of all, it's hard to find. Second of all, it's even harder to get through. For many, I say, unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. He goes on, he says, when once the master of the house is risen up and have shut the door. Again, there's coming a time when the door will be shut and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Who are you? Then shall ye begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence and have taught and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. By calling them workers of iniquity, he's telling us they're not righteous. And the righteous are those who keep the commandments of Elohim. So if they're workers of iniquity, we know they are the, they which do not keep the commandments of Elohim. Amen? Please understand. Please understand. There's coming a day when the door will be shut. But right now, the door is open. The kingdom is available to any and everyone. You know, you just have to seek him with your whole heart. Because he says that those who seek him with their whole hearts shall find him. You know, if you only seek him half-heartedly, you're not going to find him. But if you do find them, then you ought to strive to enter in. Yes. You know, don't stop fighting. You have to put up a struggle. You have to fight to get in. But it's worth getting in. Yes, yes it is. You know, so I think I ran my mouth long, long enough. I think we're going to stop right here. Um, so. We yeah, <laughs> that's all we have for today. You know, prayer was a blessing. Yeah. All right, we'll take any questions at this time.